The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, Pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March Design broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of salvation by grace. morning. I hope you're enjoying yourself on this beautiful Sunday morning and hope that you're looking forward to getting out and worshiping the Lord. We invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. We meet each Sunday morning at 1030 and on the second and fourth Wednesday nights at six o'clock. We enjoy worshiping the Lord in a very simple manner. We come together, we sing, we preach, we pray. Everyone sits together, families together, individuals together. It's just a wonderful experience and very simple. And we certainly need things simple this day and time when it comes to our worship of the Lord. We invite you to come and be with us anytime that you can and our website is bethlehempbc.org that's bethlehempbc.org i would love to hear from you you can reach me at my email address that's tim at t-i-m-m-c-c-o-o-l-l-a-w.com that's tim at t-i-m-m-c-c-o-o-l-l-a-w.com we'll hear a song and then bring to you a message from the word of god the thief to die on the cruise. 
want to speak to you this morning about the voice of the Son of God and uses our text, John 5 and verse 25. He says, Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. This is the Lord Jesus Christ giving us a beautiful picture of how the new birth takes place. There's many descriptions of the new birth in the scripture. As I have said many times, it's described as a birth in John the third chapter. It's described as a creation in Ephesians the second chapter. It's described as a resurrection in Titus the third chapter. It's also described elsewhere as a regeneration. It's got many descriptions in the Word of God. Ephesians 2 also describes it as a quickening. And all of those descriptions give us a vivid picture of the new birth. And it is something that requires an outside force to act upon one who is dead in sins. One who is dead cannot respond. And here Jesus himself, in the red letters as we say, describes the way that he borns again a person And he says, it is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Notice it doesn't say that they might hear. It doesn't say that that it's a possibility for them to hear. And if they will only respond, that they will live. Notice he says, they shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear the voice of the Son of God, not might live or possibly will live, but shall live. I submit to you that there's no possibility that this won't happen, and this is the new birth, and it's very important to note that this description of the new birth does not involve the voice of the preacher. He says they will hear the voice of the Son of God, not the voice of the preacher speaking the gospel. You see that a lot of folks think, well, it takes the gospel connected with the Spirit of God, connected with the Son of God, to call someone to have the opportunity to be born again or to have the offer to be born again. But that's not what this says. This says out of Jesus's own mouth that the hour is coming and now is now it is going on and the dead in sins shall hear the voice of the son of God, not the voice of the preacher and they that hear shall live. There is no difference in this shall here than we read in Matthew one and 21, where it says she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And what will he do? He shall save his people from their sins. Every child of God who was chosen in the covenant of redemption before the world was formed shall be born again at some point in their life. It's not a possibility. It is a reality. And Jesus affirms that reality once again here by describing it as his voice speaking to their heart. Now think about the description of the new birth being a creation being a birth, being a regeneration of something dead, a quickening of something dead. It is necessary that an outside force acts on something that's dead. And here, think about this. He says it's described as them hearing my voice. Well, what prompts the voice of God to speak? None other than God himself. There's nothing within the sinner that says, oh, go ahead and speak to me, Lord, so I can be saved. No, the sinner's dead and sins. See, it's an outside force. It's an outside voice. It's the voice of the Son of God. And it's interesting to me, and this is not the subject today, but it's interesting to me that Jesus goes on and says in verse 28, don't marvel at this. If you think this is amazing, you shouldn't marvel at it because there's coming a time in the future when all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and might come forth. 
could come forth, may come forth. No, they shall come forth. Isn't that interesting that Jesus says, if you think it's amazing that my voice has the power to speak to the dead heart of a child of God who hasn't been quickened yet, if you think that's amazing, just wait till you see the resurrection one day. When I speak, the Lord says, and all that are in the graves, the good and the evil, the children of God, the elect of God, the chosen of God, and the wicked, those that were passed over, those that do not have the influence of grace upon them. But the power of God's voice will bring them all forth one day in that glorious resurrection. Jesus makes the point. He says, if you think it's amazing that I can speak to a dead heart and give them life, spiritual life, don't marvel at that because there's coming a more amazing day when all knees shall bow and every tongue shall confess whenever I draw them out of the grave with the power of my voice. And Jesus says here very plainly, it is my voice that gives life to the one who is dead in sins. Now think about this with me for a moment. Think practically. This is the voice of God that speaks directly to the heart of a child of God that's dead in sins, that child that was chosen before the foundation of the world in God's covenant when God bestowed his grace and mercy upon an undeserving people and chose a multitude out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation, a people so vast that no man can number them, but God's got them numbered. He knows every single one of them. Now think about that. He didn't have to choose them. He didn't have to have anyone, but God in his mercy did this. So if someone says, well, I take issue that he chose some and he didn't choose others, then we don't understand depravity. We we haven't truly seen that he didn't have to choose anybody. He wasn't obligated to save a single person out of Adam's ruined race. But because his nature and his character is goodness and love, he chose a vast number. That no man can number. It's not a small number. And every single one of those chosen children will hear the voice of the Son of God speaking to their dead heart. I've used these examples many times, but I don't think we can use them enough. John the Baptist, when he was in his mother's womb, when he was a baby, before he was born into this world, heard the voice of the Son of God speak directly to his heart and give him life. See, the preacher didn't do that. preacher couldn't do that. Mama couldn't do that. Daddy couldn't do that. Nobody could do that but God. He's the only one that can penetrate that womb. And as a side note, doesn't that encourage us to know that even if a child is murdered by the abortionist knife, that our God in heaven is so powerful that he can reach into that womb before the abortioner snuffs out that precious little innocent life. You see, that's how powerful God is. He spoke to the heart of John the Baptist and gave him life in the womb. He spoke to the heart of David the toddler when he was just a little bitty fellow, couldn't even probably put a sentence together. He gave him life when his mother was holding him in her arms. God did that directly. And then what about Paul on the road to Damascus, as we've referred to many times, going to kill Christians? What preacher did that? What part of the gospel did that? What part of a friend or a relative did that for Paul? None. None. It's impossible. He's going to kill Christians. Matter of fact, the Christians were trying to dodge him and avoid him. Even Ananias, when God told him to go and baptize Paul and speak to Paul after Paul had been born again, even Ananias was like, are you sure this is the man that's come to kill us, right? <laughs> You see, what happened there on the road to Damascus was God speaking directly with his voice to the heart of Saul of Tarsus, and he turned him into 
Paul the Apostle, and also the other great example of the thief on the cross who was cursing Jesus, profaning the name of God and blaspheming along with the other thief. And yet we read in Luke, the 23rd chapter, that something happened to that man. I'm here to tell you what happened. The hour came, and then it was, when that thief that was dead in sins heard the voice of the Son of God, and that thief whose heart was dead in sins lived. You see, it wasn't anything other than the voice of the Son of God that spoke directly. An immediate new birth regeneration That's what God did for that thief there on the cross. Did he deserve it? No, he was cursing Jesus. Oh, but he'd lived a good life, right? Wrong. He'd lived a life of crime and shame. And yet God in his mercy spoke to his heart. He didn't deserve it. And look what the Lord did with the power of his voice. Now, think with me practically again for a moment. This is the voice, the same voice, the voice of the Son of God that spoke in Genesis, the first chapter, And by the power of his voice said, let there be light. And what does it say? There was light. That's powerful, isn't it? This is the same voice in the book of Genesis that said, let the stars appear. Let the planets and the universe appear. Let the dry land appear. Let these things happen. Let the animals appear. Let the birds appear. Let the fish in the sea appear. Let all of these things appear. It's his voice. I'm sitting here speaking to you on the radio this morning, and I'm saying things, and it causes me very little effort to have to speak. And it took very little effort for God to actually speak and cause these things to happen. That's how powerful he is. As a matter of fact, think about in the book of Mark where the four friends brought the paralytic man and lowered him down through the ceiling, you know, broke up the ceiling tiles and lowered him down. And Jesus looked at that man, and he said, Thy sins be forgiven. Now, everybody was wanting to see Jesus heal that man. But the first thing, if you'll notice the way the Holy Spirit protects the sequence there, he first looked at that man and said, My son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then everybody started murmuring. Those Pharisees were like, who has the power to forgive sins but God? And murmured. They went on and on. And Jesus looked at him, and it sounds to me like he was a little bit perturbed. I've joked and said before that maybe this was a grudge healing that he did on this man because he was grudging against those Pharisees just to prove the point to them. He said, what do you think is easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to say to this man, thy sins be forgiven thee? Or is it easier for me to say, rise up and walk? He was making the point to them that it took no more power for him to say, rise up and walk than it did to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. He said, to prove the point to you that I have the power to forgive, I say unto that man, rise up and walk. Do you get that point? I hope you do. Because Jesus is saying, it takes no effort for me to say, thy sins be forgiven or rise up and walk. He was making the point to them about his power and about his authority and about his voice. And it was his voice that spoke there. And he said, rise up and walk. And you know what? That man was instantly healed, no more paralytic. He rose up and walked and took up his bed and went upon his way. See, this is the voice of the Son of God, the voice that spoke and said there was light, the voice that spoke and the planets were formed, the voice that spoke and the animals were made. In the days whenever Moses went up on that mount, this is the voice that spoke and the people trembled at the mount as the thunderings and the lightnings and the voice of God. You know, we often think about what happened there on the mount in terms of the movie, The Ten Commandments. You know, where Moses goes up in the mount. Charlton Heston, who's playing Moses, goes up into the mount. Well, listen, you need to read a little bit more. 
because the Lord appeared to all of them first. That's what precipitated Moses going up into the mountain. The Lord appeared and spoke to all of the people. That's important because that's not in the movie. The Lord spoke to them all and they were terrified at the presence and the voice of God. They couldn't see God because he was in the cloud. If they'd seen God, they would have been obliterated because they were sin. They had sin in them. And yet when God spoke, they were terrified. And they said, tell the Lord not to speak to us directly anymore. Speak to Moses. And you know, that's then Moses went up into the mountain. That's when they went off and did all their fornicating and rising up to play and sitting down to eat and forming the calf that Aaron made there, all of that mess that they got into. But God spoke to them first. They were terrified. They trembled. This is the same voice of the Son of God that spoke to the devils when he was here on this earth, like the wild Gadaree and the devils that were in there. And they fled. The devils fled at his voice. This is the same voice that spoke in the lame walk. We already mentioned the paralytic man. The blind were able to see. The lepers were cleansed. It was his voice that spoke to them. And this is the same voice in the book of John. Later on, it says that he spoke and the mob that came to arrest him fell back on the ground when he said, I am he. That's something, isn't it? It's that voice. You see, he had the power. He's got the power in his voice. But we sit there and we think, well, this voice that spoke and there was light and the planets were formed, the animals were made, the people trembled on the mount, the devils fled, the lame walked, the blind sea, the lepers were cleansed, the mob fell backwards. But this voice is not powerful enough to penetrate a little old fleshly heart. Are you kidding me? Somebody would say, well, he's begging and pleading for you to let him into your heart. He can't get in unless you let him. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you something. The voice that spoke and did all these amazing things is fully capable, powerful enough, and able to get into the heart of a dead sinner. He says he is. You see, it doesn't work where the sinner lets him in. The Lord just comes in. That's how the Lord works. A great example in a image of this ability of God is seen in John the 11th chapter where we find that Lazarus died. This is a beautiful picture of the power of the voice of God. And I have intentionally left this for now so that we can consider it and see how it's a comparison to the Lord speaking to the heart and giving it life in the new birth. You know, the account there in John the 11th chapter, when Lazarus dies, Jesus was only two miles away. Did you know that? He was only two miles down the road. He could have got there in just a short time, within an hour, and yet he waited four days just to prove the point of how powerful he is. And, of course, you know, Mary comes to him, and she falls down at his feet. Martha comes to him. She's a little upset that he didn't come on, and Jesus tells her, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus comes on to the graveside there. And that's the shortest verse of scripture in the Bible is the 35th verse. Jesus wept. You know, we stand in there. Personally, I think he was weeping because he's about to bring Lazarus back to this wicked world. And as he's standing there, he tells them to take away the stone. Verse 39. And Martha, of course, she stomps her foot again and says, Lord, he stinks. You don't want to do that. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not say unto you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God? How? In the voice of the Son of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said for all of them to hear, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. 
That's his voice, see? And I knew that thou hearest me always, that's his voice, but because of the people which stand by, I said it so they could hear it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) Notice he didn't say, Lazarus, if you want to, you can do it now. Because why? That's silly. It's impossible. Lazarus is dead. He didn't have any power of his own ability to come forth. It took an outside force, the power of the voice of the Son of God, to act upon that dead body, that dead heart, that dead everything, brain, heart, uh, blood flow, everything. It took an outside force to cause it to work again. And that outside force was the voice of the Son of God. Jesus could have whispered and just said, Lazarus, come forth. You know why he spoke so loudly? Because he wanted them all to hear it. And he wanted them to see his power. And one of the reasons that I emphasize this to you today so strongly, child of God, is because if we've been told that there's a Savior who's wishing, wanting, and trying and can't get in your dead heart because he just doesn't have the ability without you letting him, then we are missing the power of the Son of God. He doesn't need your permission or my permission. He doesn't need an outside force other than himself. He is self-contained. He doesn't need the gospel. He doesn't need the preacher. He doesn't need the mom, the dad. He doesn't need them to act upon the heart of the child of God to give the child of God life and the new birth. He is well capable of doing it himself. And I think from the examples that we've seen here this morning, we can see that. He doesn't need our assistance in doing his own work. Just like when he looked at Lazarus' dead body in there, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And did Lazarus have an option? No. Did he have a choice to make here? No. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. It sounds like he just floated out because he couldn't move his legs. He couldn't move his arms. He couldn't even get this napkin off his face. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Oh, child of God, is this not a beautiful picture of the power of the voice of God. I'm telling you, our God needs no assistance, needs no help, needs nobody to show him how, needs no one's permission, not even your own permission, to do the work that he said shall be done. The picture and the account of Lazarus there coming forth at the voice of the Son of God is a beautiful comparison to the way that the new birth works. And he describes it again in John 5 and 25. That's our text. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. O child of God, if you've never heard about the power of the voice of the Son of God, I'm so glad to declare it to you this morning. The power of the voice of the Son of God that can reach through the womb of of a mother with a child still within her and give that child new birth life, spiritual life, never to die, never to perish in the flames of hell. That same voice that can look upon a toddler and speak to the heart of that little toddler and give him life. That voice that can look upon one such as Saul of Tarsus who hated Christ and turn him into a Christ lover. Only the voice of the Son of God has that kind of power. And that voice of the Son of God that spoke to the heart of that thief on the cross who was cursing and blaspheming the name of God, Jesus Christ, and God intervened. He didn't need permission. He didn't need somebody to say, okay, it's all right to go now. He didn't need the thief himself to say, I'll let you in. Oh, thank goodness I can declare unto you a successful, powerful, 
amazing Savior this morning who only has to speak with his voice and say, live. Isn't that wonderful? And if you marvel at that this morning, then I say the same thing that Jesus said. Don't marvel at this. For there's coming an hour when you will be convinced about his power because the graves are going to split open at the sound of his voice. They shall hear him. And the wicked will come forth and the righteous will come forth to stand before the Lord. Why? Because of the power of the voice of the Son of God. And that's the same power that speaks to the heart, the dead heart, and gives it life. And guess what? All glory for that power goes to God. All glory for his ability and his voice goes to him. No one else will have that glory. May we glorify God this day for the power of his voice. been listening to the march to zion broadcast for more information contact 205-364-1396 or write to the march to zion broadcast p.o box 270 Carrollton, alabama 35447 bethlehem primitive baptist church is located seven miles east of gordo and 10 miles west of northport just off highway 82 on the boyd road near ecola services are each sunday at 10 30 a.m and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Love you.